I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We're going back to the hive for season five of The Connor and Smith Show. Okay. Uh, who are we talking to today? Kip. Mormon. We are very thrilled to have Kip on the show. We'll be right back after this. These messages. Hello? Stephen? Hello, Kip. How are you? I'm I'm excited, man. I'm giddy. I'm I'm nervous. Oh, <laughs> I'm a lot I of love fun. all those things. Yeah. How are, I, how are you? I'm great. We're, you know, dealing with the remnants of a hurricane currently, but it's not bad. It's just rain and it feels like it's summer and it's November, which is weird. But at any rate, um, that is weird. I am sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, I was I'm so excited to hear that. I, what is going on, Kippers? Uh, oh, you know, Matt, I'm I'm, I'm still alive. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's that's been my major accomplishment, I would say. And we are also joined by our producer, Ryan Dean Halbrook. Kip, what's going on, man? <laughs> Hi, Ryan. Nice to hear you, buddy. Yeah. I am uh I'm I'm excited about the whole ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> now are you on the West Coast? I am. I'm in beautiful Van Nuys with a, a, a wife and two magnificent cats. Nice. And and what what is the weather in Van Nuys like right now? It's cooling off, which I, I look forward to every year. There's not much for seasons around here, so time passes real weird. But uh, it's it's getting in the cool period now. It's cool and dark early. You miss, you miss the seasons. I sometimes I do. I, I really do. I also, but you know, it also requires you being cold and uncomfortable sometimes. So, you <laughs> okay, know, speaking of seasons. There. Yes. I am just now stalking you on Facebook, and I see that someone wrote, I'm late to the game with American Horror Story Season 2, but guess who I saw? Kippy. Oh, yeah. Were that you in was, Season 2 uh, of American Horror Story? Yeah, I was in the Asylum season. What? That's my favorite. Oh, my God. Oh, was it really? Yes, totally. Yeah, it's the best. Wait, what happened? I was, um, that was during my prolific background career here early in my days in Los Angeles. Oh my gosh, Stephen and Ryan are obsessed with that show. I currently, I, I'm still involved with the church, so. <laughs> oh, understandable. I no, I really can't go there. Well, that's okay. The church figured prominently in season two. I thought the church would go it to did. calls themselves the American Horror Story. <laughs> it does, it does, it does. Um, so, so were you like a inmate or something in the background or i was an orderly so ah. i uh, had to like lead the patients back to their cells and hang out in the day room and uh, just basically worked at the asylum now did you meet ryan murphy you know i don't think i ever met him okay how, does that, back, I... how does that work do you get your um your uh, schedule of what you're going to be doing like the night before? Do you get like a heads up a week before? How's that work since I've never been asked to do any of his movies? <laughs> uh, it's been pretty much a night before thing. Like I, uh, I signed up to be a background actor here at Central Casting. And back when I did that, you could hire a call-in service. It was this, you paid them money 
and they did all the booking of the shows for you. So you just got a text the night before telling you what show you were going to be on the next day. It's like a substitute teacher. Yeah, pretty much. So you right. always had to be ready to go. And thankfully, that the horror story job was one of my very best and favorites because it's they wanted to keep bringing back the same people to work there. So that that job lasted for a good month or so, so what which was is that? uncommon. Right. So where do you actually drive to? That was at Paramount Studios. That no. show was. So yeah. When, so it was. So this is like the this is like what we see on TV. Like you drive through the gates. Uh, I didn't know. I parked in a parking garage outside the gates and then walked in from a, a fair distance away. From a, so they don't not even let you exciting. park on the <laughs> No, you got to be pretty important to park on the lot, man. <laughs> so everything that happened in that shoot for your asylum stuff was built and constructed and you were filming at Paramount Studios pretending yeah, that, that you were in an insane asylum. Yeah, that entire asylum was on a soundstage, and it was incredible. The set like, was incredible. Yeah, it looked amazing. Like, you walked in there, and you would have thought you were, you know, outdoors in that weird, crazy place. And would just How would you compare that, like, theater to, like, doing a, a Hollywood thing like that, where, like, is it a different feeling being in a set that's so immersive like that? Oh, completely. Yeah, I, it was really my first exposure to the difference between theater and film. Because uh, we didn't do a lot of it, of course, in college. Program there. So that was my first time being like on a big time set, you know, with how they did their work. So yeah, it was it was quite an eye opener, man. And it, it is different. And I... I, I to this day, I don't even know if it's something, it's just different. I can't say if I like it more or less, but like, it's just another feel. Do you have, um, what was like one of the most interesting things that happened while you were shooting that? Uh, that one, the, the most was Jessica Lang. Like just okay. getting to you be must in a scene with her. It's my favorite. She was everything you would hope she would be then, Stephen. Like she was you know a, a bright light on that set and the fact that she made everybody feel comfortable all the time and when she was working it was just amazing to stand back or just sit there and be in, within a few feet of her sometimes watching her do her stuff was amazing it was phenomenal I've, i'll never forget it probably for my entire life seeing her because she's one of my favorites too i think one of our greatest i mean everyone goes to street first but i'm like don't sleep on lang man no, she not at all. One of the best, um, yeah. if not my favorite, honestly, in the variety of her work. And um, yeah, God, that 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 season, I, I love that show. That that season is, you know, a, a big favorite of many of the fans. So I've watched everything. I've watched the behind the scenes, uh, like them discussing the set like all the commentaries and everything. It's uh, I had a lot of time on my hands in the pandemic. So, you know, that was one of the things I did. Kip, was your work on that uh, show just one day or do you have to go back several days? Oh, many days. That one that was the longest job I had and just kept bringing you back to work in the asylum over and over again. So I got to be around it quite and you, a bit. And you get, so. there, you, you get there and there's like a shooting schedule, question mark? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you would get there and they'd put you in the makeup trailer and they'd make you all up and get you in costume. And then you would just usually sit on the soundstage and have to be super quiet for 10 or 12 hours until they brought you over and just hope you didn't fuck anything up, But which I did a couple of times. So you're sitting in that makeup chair and you kind of realize where you are and how you've gotten there and you think to yourself, I wonder what Matt Connor's doing this morning. I, I wonder that every day. <laughs> <laughs> wonder if Matt's in his movie chair. Like what's, what's Matt thinking about today? Is he thinking of me? Who's he with? <laughs> what's I, going um, on? Um, sorry, I just like went to the deep dive all of a sudden because I saw that on Facebook. I know. And sometimes Facebook lies. Uh, yes. Not in this case. No, in this case, I was on that show and like it was, it, it is one of my. Being Los Angeles was getting to be a part of something like that. It was it was amazing. Where where did Baby Kip um, grow up? Grow up uh, a small town called East Liverpool, Ohio. Oh wow! Oh, Stephen's mother's from Liverpool, England. Oh no, kidding! Different. Yeah, it's just east took, of that. <laughs> I guess they took that from the the mother country. Way east. I, I bet they did. How far is that from Cleveland? Say. Uh, it's kind of far from Cleveland. I was born in Cleveland. Oh. But it's probably like two, three hours from Cleveland. It's closer to Pittsburgh. Uh, oh, okay. Which it's is right where... in the uh, Ohio River where West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio meet. It's pretty much right there. So I'm from Southwest Pennsylvania, so I know exactly where you mean. Oh, yeah. You weren't too far away from there then. And it's a, a small you know, forgot by God part of the world for the most part, you know, in its heyday, it was a big steel area and it was a big pottery area. But like, I think the most recent thing it was famous for was many years ago, Martin Sheen went there to protest a nuclear waste dump that was opening. And I don't think he was successful. <laughs> God. It's so interesting, like that whole area, Ohio, uh, you said uh, Pennsylvania. West Virginia. West Virginia. Like, it's very similar within, you know, you go from state to state, you know, they all have that very similar feel to them in that area. Oh, yeah. It's just an invisible border kind of separating all those places, you know. And right. They really just blend together and you kind of find the same kind of people, the same accents, you know, the people doing the same kind of jobs and stuff, you know, in those areas. But I haven't been back in many years. Even so how you can st still think of it as the, the homeland. How did you, because, you know, uh, there's not, those places are kind of arts deserts. How did you get involved or interested in the arts um, when you were younger? Uh, you're right. It was an arts desert. There was no theater program. There was no outlet for that at all. So it was just sort of, I don't know, just, I can always remember wanting to entertain people for some reason. And I don't know if that was because I wanted to make them like me or to be accepted or whatever it was. Like, I always wanted to make people laugh, to make them entertained. So we always used to do little variety shows at home with my family and little magic shows for the neighborhood. And and, and, and are my, you my, the only one who is um, theatrically or musically inclined in your family? Um, I am. Well, my brother, he's he's musically inclined. I, I do have a brother who's about a year and a half younger than me, who's always been something of a musician. He's played in bands most of his life and likes to write music and stuff. So he's probably the closest. 
to 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 being on the artistic side of things. Was there something that was like a catalyst for you to like really realize, you know, this is kind of what I think I want to do, what I feel most comfortable doing? Was there like a specific thing or just kind of a gradual thing? I think it was a build from being young. Like the very first play I did was second grade. I was Jerome the Frog. In yes, Jerome. Play of the same name. And you know, I got, uh, I still have a, more, a, a paperweight from those frog. days. Yes, top billing, <laughs> headliner. <laughs> uh, and that was the first taste of being uh, in a performance. And the second time, since there was no other thing to do there, the talent show in like the sixth grade where I reenacted the Tom Cruise scene from Risky Business. <laughs> In your tiny whiteies? Yeah, I slid out on stage in my underwear. Oh and, my god! Yeah, and it killed. I won, and like I it was the peak of my popularity. And then we moved away from Ohio to Virginia and right after sure that. You did the same thing at the talent. There was so much momentum. <laughs> there was. I had it. I, I was like, oh, this is it. I'm finally coming into my own. And then I had to start all over again in in Richmond when my dad's job moved us down there. Oh, so you then moved to Richmond at what age? Uh, right before high school. Oh, wow. I was like middle of eighth grade, I moved there. And there's a big difference between the tri-state area there and, and Richmond, I would imagine. How so? Uh, it was quite a bit different. Yeah, more uh, affluent. And it's a it was. Town. Yeah, and it was an actual city. Like we had to drive forty-five minutes to get to a Taco Bell in Youngstown. Of like, if we wanted to, to go somewhere nice. Did you uh, drive forty-five minutes for real to go to Taco Bell? On special occasions. <laughs> I did read that East Liverpool does have a radio station. Oh, they do. W O H I. W O H I. A.M. I've never listened to it. We always listened to like KDA, KDK Pittsburgh and stuff like that when we were out there. KDK, that's awesome. That's, yeah. Uh, they wrote a show on air uh, that has to do with KDK, sir. Oh, no kidding. Yes, because I also listened to KDK when I was growing up. Yep. That was the, the main. But uh, yeah, it was a big difference. I mean, I showed up with my mullet and Spuds McKenzie t shirts, and it was a totally different culture <laughs> than. <laughs> than what I had come from. And my slightly Midwestern accent, you know, was fascinating oh, to them in the South. And... Everyone pour one out for Spuds McKenzie. Oh, Spud McKenzie. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's definitely dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But what a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. So what happens we'll, in Richmond? We'll never see his like again. No, no. Yeah, what, what, was, uh, what, was, what was happening in Richmond then after you got there? What, what was uh, Kip getting himself into? Well, Richmond was starting all over again, and you know, I was I was pretty confident. When Knocked down a few pegs pretty quick, you know, realizing I was sort of, you know, what what was hot shit in rural Ohio wasn't really anything in in Richmond. <laughs> no one was impressed, right? Uh, but I did start meeting some of the people that I would know for the rest of my life there that made a difference in my life too. Like you know, one of the first people I met was my friend Theo and he had turned out being the reason that I moved to Los Angeles and why I'm here now even. Uh, so, he's a producer on American Idol this day. This, this is, uh, you're, you're in high school in Richmond. 
are you doing high school plays, musicals? What's the the continuation of the arts for you? Well, when I finally got to high school, I saw a production of 42nd Street because I knew I was interested in, you know, they finally got to somewhere to have a doing that. So I went to see that show my freshman year. And if you're talking about a transformative experience, that was pretty much it, I guess. That was the thing that solidified it when I sat down and saw all of them up there doing that. And, you know, I got a soft spot for 42nd Street. And so, so what did you do about that soft spot? I, I started auditioning for the plays in high school. And were you successful? Um, somewhat. You know, I never got any leads. I was always doing character parts and things like that. Um, I guess my most successful high school experience was like a state play competition. We did a short play for that. And I got, I won a best actor medal for doing that back then. It's the only award I think I've ever garnered over my long and storied career. <laughs> was there a, uh, a speech you got to give or did he just give you the medal? It just gave it to me. I'm sure you would have uh, probably thanked Jerome the Frog, right? Oh, I would have started with that. Yeah, yeah, of course. yeah. <laughs> it was a much it was much younger, so the list was a lot shorter back then. But yeah, it would have would have certainly began with Jerome and my my humble beginnings as a frog. I, I could see a series where a guy is so um, affected by the part of Jerome that he keeps the costume and literally just becomes Jerome in his life forever in his office at it, this sounds like a tragedy it 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 does I, that could be a dark comedy i think of some kind now that you've mentioned the idea i'm gonna i'm gonna try to develop that deep within my subconscious matt just spitballing and see where it goes <laughs> that's how great ideas begin man it's like a lars von trier film or something and i mean in a way that's me i never i never took off the the, the frog outfit to this very day. <laughs> I do have a memento from that show. Uh, this girl, Chris, Trisha Votaw, that my mother wanted me to marry back then, gave me a, a paperweight of a frog that I have to this very day as a memento of my first show. Your mom wanted you to marry somebody in the second grade? Yeah, it's fucked up. Wow. <laughs> she, she just picked her as like my girlfriend that like would be fine, uh, a fine person for me to be with. That's, she's a fine girl. Yeah, she thought she that Trisha was a fine girl. Someone to settle down well. with. So you were friends yes. with Theo, you said, in high school, like all through? Yeah, we were best friends all through high school. And I got another best friend from high school that lives out here, too, that I still see sometimes. His name was Corey Reynolds. Oh, I, that name sounds familiar. Uh, he was in the original cast of Hairspray on oh. Broadway. Wow. And he was on The Closer for many years as Kira Sedgwick's partner on that. Oh, my God. That's why I know. I watched Oh, okay. He was Lieutenant Gideon on that for a oh long time. Oh, my God. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's that, that's amazing that you're, like, best friends. So, like, they probably went somewhere else for school, and then you went off to Shenandoah? Yeah, Corey didn't go to school at all. He went straight to New York and started working right away. Theo got, I think, kicked out of school at some point. It really wasn't for him either. And he started playing music and stuff. And me, I went, my first year was at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Oh, what was like your what major? A, uh, theater. I went there to be an actor. Like at that point, I was all in. I decided that was going to be my life. That I, I, that was my calling. That was who I was. And I was going to go to OU because that's where my parents met and got married. That's where my grandparents lived. And it just seemed like 
and I got accepted there. It seemed like the, you know, just sort of a right choice legacy kind of thing to try to go and do. That's so cute that someone says, hey, where'd you get to school? And you're like, oh, you. Oh, you. <laughs> oh, get out of here. See, I'm some, I'm sad I never used that. That was a wasted <laughs> wasted pun I could have used for years. What did uh what 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 uh, truncated your stay there? Uh it was several factors. Uh, one was you weren't allowed to perform the first year. You just took classes and watched other people do it. So like I was starting to get frustrated and anxious to actually be performing. So that sort of wore on my patience a little bit. Uh, the other thing was I was still deeply in love with my high school girlfriend and the being away from her was proving to be difficult as well for me. And hallucinogenic mushrooms. What? I took them, took them for the first time there and had this mind blowing experience that sort of changed the trajectory of what i was wanted to do there and where i wanted to go <laughs> wait have you have you seen this series that i watched called how to change your mind question mark i have not is it about hallucinogens it is it's partially about that other things as mm. well yeah it's about mine um life changing experiences through um, psychedelics. I was just reading today about this guy who had been paralyzed from the chest down and started taking psychedelics and is now able to walk. Wow. Oh, wow. But I, you know, I don't, I don't doubt it. It's, I mean, when I was a younger person, I like, I was way into exploring those, that realm and you, uh, did, more often this, than now. This truly was like a, a moment in your life where something opened up and uh, changed. Tiffany? Well, it was sort of an expansion of consciousness in a way at the time which you know felt very profound to me at that age of course because it was the first time like i had opened myself up to i don't know a full range of experience in a way is i mean if you've ever ever taken those things before you know how it, you know it can be it can feel really enlightening sometimes it you know, kind of makes you feel like you can you can solve all of the world's problems, and you do not understand why nobody understands. Exactly, you know, you kind of feel like you're finally in the slipstream of life. You know, you're connected to all things that have ever been at all times, occasionally, and that was my first little dip into that pool. And I mean, I remember it was I was conflicted because at the time I was, you know, I was coming out. I was pretty spiritual at my last few years in high school. I would. Just, doing my best to be a born-again Christian in those days. Hallelujah, amen. Exactly. So, what, like, that was a heavy conflict against that. Uh, it was non-denominational. Non I had just started going to these youth group things in high school, and I was like, you know what, I'm, I, and I was sort of seeking sort of some spiritual answers in life at that time seemed to be the most important thing to me to try to figure out or to find out, and I was like, I'm going to give this my best shot and see what what comes of it right where do you where do you go to find proverbial 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 um advice now um nowhere <laughs> i guess Deepak? uh i um it's i don't know at this point like it's 
I don't know. It's not like I'm, uh, I, I definitely don't practice any religion of any kind or anything like that. Or I don't even know if I consider myself all that spiritual anymore. Like I, I, those aspects of life, are, I still feel like they're important and things like that. But uh, I don't know. My my day-to-day -day focus now just seems try to just be figuring out what it takes to be, you know, with a decent person most of the time or to be the kind of person that's making the world not worse than it already is. Now that's a true hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all that we, any of us can do. Right. Yeah. And at this point, I've also decided there's not one other person or other philosophy that's got all the answers in any certain way, you know, and it's I figure we've all people have been around long enough that there was some definitive answer. Somebody would have come up with it by now. <laughs> So, so you had a spiritual awakening with mushrooms. You missed your girlfriend. You couldn't perform at Ohio. What? How did you find SU? Uh, that's where the girlfriend was attending college. She ah. wanted to be a dancer, and she was going to Shenandoah. And I went there to visit her, and I auditioned while I was there for Hal. And I ended up getting accepted. Do you remember what your audition was? Not in the wait. Yes, yes, maybe I do. I think it was like an Arthur Miller piece that I had no business doing from a play called After the Fall. Wow. Um. So, so you got accepted. I and, did. And then the next thing is what you you tell your parents? Hey, change of plans. Yeah, yeah. You know they they were okay with it. They were a little disappointed that I was leaving uh, my dad's alma mater. And all that, and I don't know if they totally understood. The other reason I left there early was because I got a job at King's Dominion in Virginia, the theme park, as a, a Romulan, a Star Trek character, to walk around that summer. So that was... That's fun. Professionalist job. <laughs> also for Paramount. Yeah, for, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that connection. But yeah, I was a Romulan for that summer. I had a Klingon wife. It was a great time. And then that at the end of that summer is when I went to Shenandoah and they were, they were on board with it. They were, you know, they've always been very supportive, even though they may not have always understood. They've always been great and supported people to me. Do they their, house their you? Sweethearts. Do they house you when you work at King's Dominion? Uh, they didn't, but I live close enough that like, it was like a 40 minute drive up there. From yeah. Richmond. From Richmond. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you get to SU, you start SU. What, what is the difference between Ohio and the SU? Although, you know, I understand the non-performing side, but like, were you pleasantly surprised? Was it kind of similar, just different location? Like, what was that transition like? Um, it was, a, it, it seemed like a really different environment. I mean, Ohio was a, a much larger school. It had this sort of traditional beautiful campus it was really large you know had all these old sort of like brick colonial buildings and it looked like what you would think a college is supposed to look like you know when you picture one in your mind right on a little river and everything it was idyllic in a lot of ways but and then shenandoah was much smaller it had that little creek running under the highway back there so i guess that was a river it had the duck lake <laughs> so it was a water feature uh but the scale of it was much smaller, you know, the, and it was all that kind of weird 60s architecture, too. So it wasn't exactly like a beautiful, beautiful campus or anything. 
aside from, you know, this the basic nature of the Shenandoah Valley was sort of beautiful. And just the size of the school, too. And right away, it, it felt a lot more intimate, a lot smaller, a lot more connected with everybody that was there. Yeah, I mean, you can walk from one end of the campus to the other within a half an hour. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> Within a half an hour, within like five minutes. Five minutes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and often you had to because you're rushing off to get the class on time or something. Or... God, I had to go take a, a piano final one time and it had rained and I was late. I don't know what I was doing the night before. And I had to run down the hill from the student center mm -hmm. and I slid all the way down that hill and had to go in and take this piano final completely covered in mud. They felt sorry <laughs> for me. Only reason I passed, just saying. They just felt. Hey, man, yeah. It 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 paid off. Sometimes you know, pity is a powerful. Yeah, and falling down the hill only took like fifteen seconds, so <laughs> barely late. So so what was what um what were some of the highlights of your time at Shenandoah? If you could pick a few things out that really you still are with you. Uh. A lot of it has to do with the people and the relationships that came from there. I mean, going there turned out to be probably one of the most significant decisions of my life. I mean, as far as the people who stuck around in it and the experiences I've had since then. But from being there, some things that stand out, of course. Um... <laughs> oh, Lord. I uh... The only time I ever got thrown into the drunk tank was in Shenandoah. <laughs> oh, my God. For real? Yeah. What was Winchester's drunk tank like? It was it was a very small room with a couple of metal cots sticking out of a wall with like plastic mattresses on them, like a television playing religious programming on the outside <laughs> of the thing at a, a loud volume throughout the night. Wow. And just bare concrete cinder block walls with like a pale shade of green. <laughs> For whatever call. Did you guys ever have to go to the Winchester? I did not. No. no. Matt? I've never been caught. I've never been caught. That's that see, now that's the way to be. Oh. Oh. That's they got me. Because I am just walking after midnight. Oh, yeah. In my uh boots. My Patsy Clown boots. Oh, see, that's that was the right combination so besides the drunk tank what <laughs> what else <laughs> is a highlight it's actually my father's happen? favorite story no it was somebody's birthday party or something oh, and i was gosh. walking i was walking home through i lived just on the other side of old town down there and i had to walk past the library to get to my house and I was, you know, I was just drunk enough that I was still feeling really good and didn't want to quite go home. So I climbed up on top of the library as high as I just laid, laid up there on top of it. And then I started singing songs. Oh, and my God. It, this is an epic, epic tale. I was singing, um, it was sort of like, I don't know, to now would be I'm embarrassed by it because it was cultural appropriation, really. But I was singing sort of old spiritual work songs that I was making up. Made in the water. Yeah, in, in that vein, exactly. Uh, and I was laying on my back, looking at the sky, just singing these songs, feeling great. 
and then I saw like the these the flashing lights across the top of the library, like the red and blue lights up there. And it's like, oh shit, somebody's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked down and there they were below me getting out of the police car. And, and you're like, oh, it's me. Yeah, I was like, oh shit. I hopped down. I was like, hey, I just live like a block away. I'm sorry. I guess people called in like a noise complaint because maybe I wasn't singing as well as I thought I was <laughs> at the time. But they Did, instead so, of letting me walk home, they put me in handcuffs and put me in the back of the car and took me to the drunk tank. <laughs> what I mean, what do they do? Do they charge you with anything like public drunkenness or something like that? I, I don't think so. I never had to go to court. They let me out the next morning and it was it seemed to be all forgiven. The thing that is very interesting, I wonder if this was the Hanley Library. I believe it was. It's that one with the dome on it downtown. Yes, the Hanley Library looks like maybe it could have been designed by Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, yeah. It was like one of those old Carnegie libraries. It was all yeah. real fancy back when billionaires used to spend their money on good shit. Yeah. I, I was going to say the thing that's interesting, the interesting thread between this incident is that you were singing spiritual songs and then got thrown in a drunk tank where more spiritual stuff was coming through the bars yes there was a serious religious tone throughout the entire proceeding <laughs> so you've had a spiritual moment with jessica lang a spiritual moment in ohio and now a spiritual moment in winchester on the roof on the roof yeah yeah it's, it's like i got a, it's a spirit chock full of character at this point i think definitely a through line so that was that was a memorable moment that and just we all did together back then and i don't know it just seemed like such a a carefree fun time for the most part again it's been so long ago that like the specific memories come and go from it but i how did was, uh, how, yeah. how was the uh the curriculum going from ou to su I was way more theater focused, it felt like. I mean, my first year there, too, was a lot of like just academic requirements that I had to get out of the way, like the, the math and the history requirements and and stuff like that my first year. So by the time I got to SU and had already done a lot of those prerequisites, it was pretty much a lot of just theater training for me. So that first year at OU, you didn't even get to have any acting training? Uh, there was some acting training, you know, there was like some movement classes and some voice classes and I guess some scene study stuff that we did, but you weren't allowed to try out for any of their shows. Right. Now, was the scoring thing uh, a thing completely new to you coming to SU? I, you know, I, I, I think they were doing some scoring stuff there too. I feel like that that's just sort of like the, was at that time anyway, the general academic way to teach acting i i don't think outside of like the specialized schools that were teaching like maybe meisner or the method or or something like that i think that was the most academized way to like quantify teaching acting to people was to to break it down into those little boxes with the action verbs and and, and all that and yeah. I love the, the uh, upperclassmen handing down all of the two verbs because man that really helped out a lot i wish i still had mine i sometimes some i sometimes do need a verb <laughs> yeah I it was mean, always hard to come up with you would sing and think that like just uh, verbs would be easy but they were not no i sometimes need one even today. and just because you thought of a word didn't mean you could like 
do that word or be that word or make you feel a certain way sometimes either. The scoring process and acting, I don't think belongs to a certain technique, does it? I Not that I know of. I, like I said, I just think that that was, I'm not even sure who came up with that or like what if that is ascribed to a particular school of acting in some way. I don't know. I, I, I've never seen anybody like actually practicing it outside of an academic environment for the most part. But I don't know what everybody's processes are like there either, you know, when they're at home working on their roles, if they're scoring stuff out, maybe they are. I don't, well, I, I, don't you think it's something also just to make you like, because that's what you do intuitively, like uh, when you are an actor anyway. So it's just kind of like getting you to think that way. So you don't ever have to really write it down. You're doing it anyway, right? I think so. Like that there was a concrete A plus B gets you to C sort of thing. And as long as you were aware of where you were heading, you know, it's one thing to have like unbridled instinct, but without that focused in some direction, I, I guess that was just meant to give you more pointed purpose, um, you know, to keep things specific, I think was the, the main goal of that. I'm, I'm not sure, but. Have you studied, I, have you studied any um, more since school? Uh, some little classes. I'm, I'm about to take a big one pretty soon, starting in January. I'm doing like this eight month long Meisner thing that I'm going to do as like an actor rehab for myself. <laughs> and Meisner is going to be in what vein? Uh, that's more like instinctual stuff, but like it's all based on listening to your partner and getting everything that you do from reacting from really. And like, right. So, yeah, just really reacting to whatever is given to you. Yeah. Like instead of being in your head, you're instinctively feeling and reacting to at least this is my, you know, if I, I'm sure in eight months I might know more about it. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, going in there sort of blind and never having studied anything like that before. That's that's sort of like what is just trying to find truth rooted in your actual personality and your real self. And applying that to just mainly reacting to listening to somebody else in a scene. And that's I think that's what it's about. And that's gonna be in LA. Yeah, that's a, a school here in Los Angeles. I just I've had a hard time since the pandemic getting myself back into things, you know, or motivated or thinking about what I even want to do with my life anymore, because this is what's defined sort of who I am for so many years. Yeah, you know, it's, I, I think it's also just so true with the, the pandemic in general. Uh, I know for, I guess, everyone that I can, I can speak for, it just feels like it took some air out of some sales and, and it makes, it has just made us question lots of different things, I think. Oh, it certainly has. And I maybe I don't want to jump too far ahead. You know, we'll go try to, I'll try to stay in the chronological stuff, but uh, yeah, it, it certainly, it certainly has. But uh, you know, what I did before um, we did this podcast is I, I've got this footlocker, this old Vietnam war footlocker that I put all of my theater memories into. And I was going to go in there and see if I could find any Shenandoah stuff to like try to spark some memories. And I pretty much have every program from every play that we did there really? and every directing project that anybody ever did. Oh, that's amazing. 
Yeah, so that that was cool to see. I've got a summer music theater one from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat that's got a math a young Matthew Connor in the pictures, and there's a Ryan Hallbrook in there. Uh, I had hair. I had hair. <laughs> you still got hair on the inside, buddy. I <laughs> you still have hair on the inside. <laughs> that's gonna be the name of Ryan's book. <laughs> I still have hair on the inside by Ryan. That's fantastic. Uh, but no, like in those days, though, like of this, I, I, I don't know. I remember Kathy Voitko was one of the first people that I met there because she was like my big sister assigned to me from the theater fraternity. So she kind of helped me get acclimated to the place. Oh, that's fun. And then I just remember I lived on campus for about one year. They put me, I think, in the uh, the one that wasn't racy. And I was with Island. And I had a pet snake at the time. And the what snake kind? would always, uh, it was a ball python oh. named Zed, after Zeus Elvis Dean, after Zeus Elvis and James Dean, who was, was my favorite actor at the time. The, uh, the guy from Ireland, that wasn't uh, Keenan, was it? His name was Paul Fitzgerald. I remember that for some reason. As he, I would always come home and say, Kip, the snake got out. That's not a good Irish accent, but <laughs> he would always be very concerned about where the snake was all the time. Well, yeah, because Ireland doesn't have snakes. No, they all got driven out at some point, right? Isn't that a big, uh, yeah, that's a a big thing? Yeah. That's not true. There's snakes in Ireland, right? Are there? I think it's true, and I think that this is something that I don't know. So when Pandora would, broke apart, Ireland just didn't get any snakes. I don't know. I would love to go there someday and not see any. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Just anecdotally, I worked with an Irish director who came over here uh, for the first time, and uh, I was choreographing the show. He was directing. We were at a reception um, at the like one of the big patrons' houses in Bethesda, mm -hmm. and there's a beautiful yard, and it was summer, and uh, you know we were having some drinks, looking over this beautiful manicured lawn, and the fireflies started to come out, and he was like, "Well, fuck me, what? How do they do that? What? What is that? Some kind of lights in the grass?" And I was oh. like, well, "No, it's it's fireflies." He goes. Bloody hell, even the bugs light up in America. <laughs> they, they don't have fireflies in Ireland, so maybe they don't have snakes either. I don't know. No, they don't That's have crazy. snakes because of the last ice age, and it was by itself. So when it all melted away, it was too warm. And, uh, yeah, I just read about it. Um, I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't know, really know about it. You just Googled. I just Googled it. Well, let's go back. I'm, I'm, I'm still fascinated with the end of this story, if there is one. So this snake always used to get out? Yeah, somehow he'd get, he'd get out of his cage and be just loose in the room somewhere, and we'd have to search for the snake all the time. Oh, Zed. That's what I remember from my earliest days there. Then I moved off campus over to, like, I think we're a lot of apartment complex up by that air, little airport past the Cracker Barrel. Did you Going out towards Stephen City. Uh, no, I, I, I had co-ownership with the snake with another friend from high school. Uh, that used to come out there and visit me all the time. And he used to get me in all kinds of trouble there. Every time he'd come, he'd have some new substance we were supposed to try, you know. And you liked touching snakes? 
I didn't mind it at the time. I did was I was fascinated by them, and I I, I enjoyed that snake. He, I think he liked me. <laughs> it's hard to tell. How long you know, did they I'm not sure. I didn't get to see the end of his life. Oh no! I I heard he was donated to the uni like the uh, University of Virginia Biology Department at some point. Once my friend Travis took co ownership of him. Uh, so I, I, I don't know if that's true. I assume he probably just lost it as well because the snake was good at getting out, but he always told me that it had had a, a home in the biology department somewhere. And hopefully that wasn't just like floating in formaldehyde in a glass somewhere. Oh my God. I <laughs> know. Oh hey, hopefully wow. Zed's still out there today, swallowing, you know, giant things whole and stuff and living his best life. So you, uh, you graduate Shenandoah. What's your I did not. I did not graduate Shenandoah. I didn't either. Neither did I. Yeah. I was a half a credit short because I did not make it to enough performance forums Damn in it. my final semester. You and they wanted me they wanted me to come back for an entire semester to finish performance forum. Oh, oh my god. You're kidding. This would be a great film. That is shitty. I know. I fought like hell to, to graduate that year and Everybody said no. They were like, you know what? If we let you do it, we're going to have to let everybody do it. <laughs> so, you, so I was like, so I have to come back and do an entire semester just to watch performances. This is how Kip's movie opens is he's in his costume. In the frog suit? In the frog suit. And every week he has to go to a different performance. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. Yeah, as, point, as a protest against it, I would come dressed as the frog for everyone. And, and at some point, he just can't handle it. And one night, he just kind of loses it into a big jug of whiskey. And he just starts singing up on the roof um, on, at the library. And then Zed the snake comes and eats the frog. No! No, Lord. <laughs> it's a real, it's got a real fear and loathing in Las Vegas vibe. So after SU... You then decided, I'm going to move to blank. Well, I went back to Richmond, Virginia for a couple of years. And uh, that was at the time that uh, Dan Waters lived with me there. And my girlfriend at the time, who was I met in Winchester, she worked at the Nature's Element store in the mall. <laughs> <laughs> where I worked as well for a time. That is so awesome. It's still uh, 90s. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, we, uh, Dan helped me get a job again at Paramount's King's Dominion. We were both hosting this Nickelodeon game show called More Mega Messamania. What? Yeah, we were both co-hosts of this crazy ass game show where it was like Double Dare. You just dumped slime on people and they did the thing, but it was me and Dan. Doing oh God, that for I would have paid money to see that. I don't know. Several people did come down and see that. I don't know if there's any video of it existing today, but it was a wonderful time. We had a we had a decent job there. We had fun. Like those days, those years in Richmond were a really good time. You know, and I was there doing theater in Richmond and plays and things. And of course, a lot of people went to Richmond because they had a, a pretty well established children's theater touring company there for theater four yeah so i mean a lot, a lot of the other folks you talked to that was their journey as well was to go down to richmond work for theater four do those tours and a lot of that came from our love from children's theater from you know the tutelage of lindy hayden herman yes yes who you know still is probably my most influential teacher that i've ever had yeah absolutely 
to this day. I feel lucky that we had got to experience her. So what what took you away from Richmond? Uh, it finally, I decided I was, it was time to go out into the world and really take my shot at stuff. And Chicago was going to be the destination. I had met uh, my first year of college. I met a good, made a good friend at Ohio university who lived out there. So I moved in with him and a bunch of his friends and we lived out in the suburbs, a place called Orland park. And, and I just started doing theater there and. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. No, I was just going to say, so how long were you in Chicago? 13 years. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that was, that was definitely home. And that was a huge chunk of life, of course. And, you know, it was part of my, you know, the, going to Shenandoah. And the people who came to Chicago from there were a, a huge part of my life. You know, people that... You know, to this day, I do. I still keep in touch with a lot of them, but you know, not really close as we used to be. But that, those were such good years there with everybody, and we did so many different things and had so many adventures there in Chicago. Of course, thirteen years of life is, you know, that's enough room and time for a lot to happen. It seems like a lot of people I've spoken to who have gone to Chicago after whatever college they've gone to tend to spend a good chunk of that beginning part of their lives there before moving on. Is Chicago just kind of like a really cool city that, you know, you know, bleeds theater? It, it sort of does. And that was the thing about it the most is if you wanted to be an actor, you could act there and you could keep yourself busy with performing or doing your own work. Or it was just sort of a, a place where that sort of stuff was celebrated and encouraged and flourished there. And yeah, it's after that many years of, you know, making our own companies with our friends and stuff like I, we all had a company together for a while with Daryl and, and, and Jenny and Dan and Dustin and Danielle and everybody who was out there at the time. We, you know, everyone trying to do their own work and just it was a time to experience and grow and actually get to do it. And it was great. I loved it there. And it still has a soft spot in my heart. I don't know. I, we, we toy with the idea of moving back sometimes, but I don't know <laughs> if I could do it or not. I, just, I did have a great, I loved, I loved being there. It was um, the thing I did for work there that turned out to be my best job was Brian DeWittowitz got it for me. He used to work at those architecture boats on the Chicago River. And he got me into that. So I was a, a Chicago River tour guide for like six years there. Oh, that's super thanks to cool. that guy. Oh, it was the best job I ever had. What do you almost do? like? Do you, is it kind of like just saying this building is this and? Yeah, it's like doing your own little like one man show presentation for an hour while you float down the Chicago River, talking about architecture and telling stories about Chicago, and, and so that was a great experience. What's that? Do you have to take a class to learn all of that or? No, you had to learn it all on your own. Like there was a videotape of this guy who did it on like the public, the PBS channel there. Huh. I can't remember what his name was now, but they were like, watch. 
So with the license. <laughs> so you know, kind of right. got your knowledge base from watching that PBS video, and then you just kind of expanded it as you went along, as far as like whatever you want. I mean, you could get away with doing the bare minimum, or you could turn it into something that was really your own. There was no script, really. Tell the truth. Did you? So make you got out there every day. Uh, I never made up anything that I didn't tell them afterwards that I had made up. Okay. All right. Yeah, I never like misled anybody about anything. You know, it was important to me to like try to be entertaining, but to also bring, you know, actual information. Well, speaking of seasons, the the winters out there had to be freaking hard, right? Oh, I don't know how I did it. Like looking back now, like I would be destroyed. Like it's I, I thirteen winters in Chicago, man. I, I have no idea because they're cold and they're long and they just feel like they're never gonna end after a while. I mean, that's a testament to how great that place is, though. Is like that you're willing to stick around even when it gets like inhumanly cold outside. That like when it does start warming up, the spring, the summer, the fall there, there's really there's no no other city like it. I get in it in that way. It's. I do miss it a lot sometimes and still got a lot of friends there. Do you even own a winter coat right now? I do. It stays in the closet for whenever I got to go back east for Christmas and stuff. <laughs> you know, it's in there. It doesn't see a lot of action, but it exists. So after after 13 years in Chicago, what what is the catalyst that moves you to L.A.? I kind of felt like I was just starting to spin my wheels in Chicago a little bit. You know, like I was... I'd gotten to the point where I was out of the storefronts and starting to understudy in the big houses, but that's about as far as I could get. You know, it's just like anywhere. Once you reach the upper echelon of things, you find that like everybody who's doing it is sort of a short list of people. Right. And getting on that list is not an easy thing to do because that list has been around for a while. Right. So I got to a point where like I, I, I did, I did get to understudy, but doesn't got to go on and perform at the Steppenwolf and places like that, which were big dreams of mine when I first moved out there. So I had felt like I had gotten to, to experience something that I, that was a big goal for being there, but it didn't seem like I was breaking through into that next level there in any way. And plus, you know, it had been 13 years and I was ready for something new in life. And I don't know, I it was the end of a lot of things and, was ready for the beginning of new things and my that was when Matt Theo called me up and encouraged me to move to LA and I took the plunge and I was in my late 30s at the time and the thought of like moving to an entire new city and starting all over again seemed completely absurd but it turned out to be the right thing to do I mean it just changed my life in so many ways for the better and I'm happy that I'm out here and how is that like what what specifically has you know changed you know your life for the better well, I guess the biggest thing would be, oh, shit. Uh, sorry about that. It looked like the computer just went to sleep. <laughs> you said the biggest thing would be? Uh, the biggest thing would be getting married. For one thing, I, my, I found my, my wife, the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And it's not like I found her here either. You know, I met her in Shenandoah. And then chased her across the country. Yeah, inadvertently. <laughs> How did that reconnect? Uh, when I moved out here shortly after Jen Hines moved out, Nancy Friedrich moved out. Yes. Uh, and we were already good friends in Virginia and not Virginia, but, uh, in Chicago and hanging out and doing a lot of stuff in Chicago's. And so there were some of the outside of like my high school buddies. Those were the only people I really knew here. So 
you know, I spent a lot of time hanging out with them and doing stuff with them. And they were really good friends with Karina. So she would be included in all that stuff. So that was sort of my reintroduction to, to knowing her again. And the rest is history. The rest is now history or it's ongoing. That is the, the current events. She's <laughs> down, downstairs right now, hoping that I'm not freaking out too much up here over being on the podcast. So what was your door into um, like getting, you know, the central casting and doing the background stuff and like what happened after that? Like, how did that all like come to pass? Uh, I just was trying to work wherever I could when I first got here just to try to get some kind of foothold and get some kind of regular thing going that I could, you know, have some kind of base to start working off of. Uh, you know, and I did everything from catering and stuff and delivery driving and everything like that until I finally got to background, which I was reluctant to do at first because, like, you know, I, I didn't think of myself as a background actor. I thought I was an actor and I was going to come out here and do that. But little did I know how little that I knew about the whole business. So once I did decide to give the background acting a, a, a shot, I did it for about it was a steady job for about well, semi steady two years. Wow. And I got to be on all kinds of stuff during that I time. Say, when I lived in LA, a lot of people did background work and they're like, yeah, I, I can make a, a living doing this. Yeah, I was piecing it together. Like I said, I had that call in service. So there would be times where there'd be lots of work and then there'd be slow times of the season where you wouldn't get much and have to do something else. So you really just couldn't count on it very much. And after doing it for two years, I just got to the point where I was burned out on it. It didn't seem to be leading anywhere. I felt like I had learned about as much as I could from that perspective. So it was time to start doing other stuff. And it was right around then that I started getting regional contracts from here. Like I started working at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, did four seasons out there. Santa Cruz shakes for a season, American Players Theater in Wisconsin. Those were the, the jobs I was starting to get here, which were easier in a way because in Chicago, everybody was doing theater. So if you went to an audition, you'd wait around all day and probably never get seen. Right. But out here, no, nobody was here to do theater. So if you went to a call, chances are you were going to get in. Did you have an agent like setting all this up or did you do it on your own? Uh, it was all on my own. And I, I have had a handful of sort of like crappy agents out here since I've been out here from my efforts, but you know, nothing that's ever been really anybody who's been able to get me out there or get me into the rooms that I want to be in so far. So, you know, all the theater stuff and all that was just me going out for stuff. And is the theater really uh, like life in LA, not as uh, lively as other places as, as I've heard? It doesn't feel like it. I mean, it's certainly out there. And if you get in, there is one company that I like to work with out here called the Porters of Hell's Gate. They do a lot of classical stuff and sometimes, but also, you know, fun and original things from time to time, too. That name is uh, awesome. Yeah, it's a great theater company name. They did one called uh, Breaking Bard. It was the entire series of Breaking Bad set to Shakespeare. <laughs> and that was, oh, it was so much fun. Uh, and the French festival here every year is a big thing. Uh, but as far as small companies go, I mean, it's nothing like the scene in Chicago was, but it's here, but it's not what people are focused on here because most of the work and most of the reason people come out here is to be in film and television or voiceover or commercials. And that seems to be where the bulk of the work is. And, you know, there's so many different avenues for actors here. You know, if you don't kind of focus in on one thing, you kind of get lost in the sea of all of it. 
And so what, what happened for um, you when the, the, the pandemic kind of smacked down? Well, that was right after we got married. And I had decided I was, I, since I was married, I didn't want to go away and do any of these four to six month out of town contracts anymore. And I wanted to stay in Los Angeles and do the things that I came here to do. So I, I got, I ended up getting a job here at uh, right now. My current job is I, I'm a tour guide at Universal Studios. I do the Universal Studios tour. Oh, cool. The Jaws. Yeah, Jaws is out there. Bruce. <laughs> Bruce is there. He's I, been under maintenance for the last month, so he's been up <laughs> out of the water. But uh, King Kong. he's out. He's out there. Yeah, yeah. There's a big King Kong part of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember I was a I was a kid when I took it, but. No, it's not the same one as you used to do, the big Kong that they used to have. Now it's like oh. a big Peter Jackson 3D immersive Oh, thing. It's, not the, it's not the physical thing? No, you drive into this room and it's like these 40-foot tall 3D screens on both sides of you and tram shakes around and you, it's all in 3D and it's intense. <laughs> but it's not the same thing. Yeah, it's not the it's not that old classic kong experience you probably remember yeah and they also had the thing with the uh uh the astronauts that were floating oh yeah they had it it was um was that on the tour or was that the special effects show it was on the tour oh yeah they don't have that anymore either oh man yeah they got really quite a bit quite a few things over the years and i'm but, sure added tons yeah yeah there's some there's new stuff that's come in since i've been around there but so I was like, oh, well, this will be my job here, and I, well, that's going to keep me here, and I'm going to finally, you know, put all my efforts towards, you know, making some headway here in Los Angeles, trying to do the kind of work I came out here to do, whatever that is. And that's when the pandemic hit. Right. Uh, and that sort of, you know, sidetracked everything in a regard, but it also slowed everything down. I just got married, so it allowed me, you know, me and Karina be here at the house for a couple of years <laughs> with nothing but time together. Did you have the cats prior to the pandemic or did you get them? Uh, the cats we had then had passed away during the pandemic. Oh. Both of them. So that was a, that was a terrible loss. Oh, that's hard. It was a loss on all sides. You know, Karina's parents passed over the last couple of years too. The cats passed away. <laughs> they just, you oh. know, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of loss and that's been really hard. But uh, yeah, these new cats, they, they showed up about a year ago now. We decided, you know, it was time. We got some new ones and they're both, they're champions. So now the pandemic is over? Question kinda, mark. Yeah. yeah. And you like Ish. through the cobwebs of like, what, what, what is it that we do? Like we have to live and like have a job. What, what, what is it that, you know, like, how do you get out of that? What are you, what are you trying to do now? I haven't really gotten out of it effectively. I don't think I started back at the theme. I started back at the theme park, so I was kind of going through the motions of getting back into regular life. But when I'm not there, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> like, I have not expanded much beyond you know the pod of the house that I had established and grown hair in and felt safe in. <laughs> you know, so it's it's been tough getting myself back to. Even if even knowing if that's what I want to do anymore, you know, if it's it's, it's really it's, difficult to break like two and a half years of patterns. You know, it was. 
And there were great times during that. Like I, I we had a reading group with Matt Midget and Sean Ramey yes, was in yes. it. We did our Shakespeare reading group once a week. So I had that. I played Halo with guys from Chicago once a week, which I still do. Uh, and it was, you know, there were there was little pockets of joy. I learned how to play the piano a little bit. I wish I kept up with that, though. That's fun. Yeah, I was. And I, I made some progress, but now I really haven't been touching it much lately. Now now that I'm working again, when I have free time, I feel like it just has to be total leisure time. So I just. It's really interesting. Like, I feel like because I actually lost my job and then had to like go back to it, like during the whole COVID thing. And I had to get another job and all of this thing that these things that happened really made me like go, what am I doing with my life? I'm what age and I'm doing what, like, I think it made all of us kind of go like, you know, what is it that I I'm living for exactly. And really made us like look inward that I don't know if would, would have necessarily happened if we didn't have COVID. I'm not trying to, you know, spin COVID as a good thing, but I'm just saying. No, that was just one of the side effects of it. And we wouldn't have, cause you never would have had time because you know, it's constantly, you know, every day is a hustle to survive sometimes. And, there was never time to reflect or contemplate, especially the older you get and the faster time feels like it's going by. Like you don't get those moments to think about your life because you're deep in that sucker at that point. And, you know. It was also tricky because we weren't really going through it together. We were going through it separately. Separately together. We were going through it separately together, but then there were some people who didn't think we were going through it. <laughs> yeah yeah it also like showed that the different realities that people are based in out there too and yeah so separately we were all experiencing our own and other yeah. and it was just so odd and it was no, it, it was a lot man and that was a seriously impactful event that i don't think that we've had the proper distance from to really unpack everything that we went through in that or like what it meant and everything started back so quickly there wasn't you know, there wasn't time in between either. So just the transition back to what I guess is sort of normal again. And I mean, I guess it is normal, only slightly crappier than it used to be. Stephen and I started during the pandemic having breakfast and going back to bed. <laughs> because most of our working things happened later in the day. And we still... Yeah have that we still do that to this day yeah whether we go back to sleep or not is up for debate you know? i go back to sleep right. and that's just you know you found that that was probably like the most natural pattern for your lives you know and you never would have been able to explore that or find out that that's how you probably work the best and makes you the most creative and you know makes you the best you by you know keeping a schedule like that instead of like what you were probably forced to do when you were out in the real world well, I mean, we're, we're in separate beds. No, we're not. <laughs> oh, it's like, uh, it's like Ozzy and Harriet. Um, that's what I was thinking. I guess I was thinking of uh, the Dick Van Dyke show with him and Laura <laughs> in the separate beds next to each other. Yeah, that's beautiful. No, I love it. I like. I I have a this idyllic fifties existence for you and Stephen now in my mind. Oh yeah, totally. Each reading a different book next to each other with your glasses on at night. Mm -hmm. Ma eyes. with her kerchief <laughs> and me with my pipe, you know. <laughs> oh, it's <Ricky>. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so uh, to speak to what you said about the COVID thing, yeah, I mean, the mass trauma that we went through as a society, as a world, 
is going to have ripples long after this is done. And you're right. None of us had time to process it. I, I loved after Joe Biden was elected that he did like a the, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he did those light up things along the ellipse in, in D.C. and like wanted to commemorate the um, amount of people who died. Um, I mean, because going back even to AIDS and like, you know, Reagan not even saying AIDS for so long and there had to be organizations that created like the quilts or the World AIDS Day for anyone to just kind of go, is anyone clocking how many people we've lost? Yes. So even him doing that, uh, I thought was, you know, helpful. It didn't last that long. That installation isn't like still there um, because that number is false. It's much higher now than that was a couple years ago. But I think that there does need to be uh, some kind of something about all the people who were lost to that. I mean, not not to downplay 9-11 at all, because that was a horrific trauma and very violent and all at once. Oh, yeah, uh, a completely separate thing, you know. But but we're talking about the difference between 3,000 and how many hundreds of thousand now. And it, it just feels like uh, we have memorials to wars with less people lost. And yeah. Yeah, and it's hard for people to understand that or to face that even. You know, the actual reality of that is staggering. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a hard thing to like really look at and think about. And there's not too many people that don't either know somebody who lost their life because of it or know someone who knows someone who did. I mean, no, no one's that far removed from like how bad that really was. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, no, I was just going to say like <clears throat> thinking about it and un unpacking it while we're sitting here talking about it. Like, okay, so during COVID, we had a president that was basically in denial that it was happening. And then we're all sitting here talking about how we were so by ourselves, but together within this world, living in this digital virtual world. And, and all of the misinformation and everything in that time period was built up and built up and built up. And there is nothing outside of that getting to those people. So how, I mean how much damage has been done by them being alone, being fed this misinformation to where we are today. And, and what are the ripples of that going to be? Sorry, I don't mean to get really. I know it's going to be a while before that smoke clears, man. We are in the ripple right now. So like, you can't tell. Well, according exactly. to, according to my TikTok, uh -huh. there's UFOs coming out of the Big Dipper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully they're gonna they're gonna save us or put it in. That'll be quite the that's that'll be quite the page turn. That'll and, get us talking about something else. And I'm not kidding. Nope. I'm not kidding. The oh, I believe it. They're out of. They're overdue. Frankly, that that <laughs> I don't know. It's it's hard to tell after seeing like how we've reacted to some of these real life tragedies. How aliens showing up is going to affect things. I, well, I, I fear to find out. <laughs> speaking of overdue, this conversation was well overdue and we're so glad that now it is um time to wrap up and oh yeah no man i've been a, i've been listening to you guys karina turned me on to the podcast so like being on this i feel like i'm talking to celebrities right now because i've heard you guys so many times i didn't mean glad to wrap it up i didn't mean glad to wrap it up i was glad that the conversation with you happened yeah. Oh, me too. Oh, I've, I've actually, I've, I, you know, I was back and forth. I was like, oh, I don't have anything to talk about. 
I have I've done nothing with my life. <laughs> like it's gonna be horrible. Oh, Kip, you know, being out there. But before we go, you were always a shining light of kindness in Shenandoah. You were always you always had a kind word, and you were always very you know uh, amenable to to pretty much everybody. And I appreciate you for for having that attitude. Oh, thanks for saying that, man. That does make me feel good. That's the way I want to be in life. So that's 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 kind of what I try to what I try to do. You know, I just want I don't know. I just want to be good to people if I can. What <clears throat> one last parting shot here? What uh, during the past? Let, let's just say what uh, this year are there any notable either TV shows that you've gotten into streaming or films that you've seen that you just kind of are at the top of your mind? He watched all of the season two of American Horror. <laughs> you know what? I've never seen the entire season. So like I haven't even like I reluctant was only reluctant to watch it because I didn't want to see myself. Oh, come on. So I still yeah. have to watch the rest of it. <laughs> well, now we have to go back. I know you got to look for me. I'm, 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 I'm probably speckled throughout. No, I had no beard back then. I was no beardless beard. okay. kind of slicked back hair that they did for me every time. So I, I think, yeah, I, I, I pop up here and there. You'll probably see me or blur, a blurry blob in the background. That's probably me. <laughs> that's when your resume blurry blob. Yeah. Uh, but no, we, we watch so much. Like I love, I, I feel like we're television right now. So like we watch, Pretty much everything that we hear about that that anybody's buzzing about, you know. Of course, a big one for us was um, oh, what the hell was it called? Apple Plus. Adam Scott. Uh, se uh Severance. Severance, yes. You saw Severance. That was one of that was one of our favorites. Uh really enjoyed that. And Karina's got a big Adam Scott thing as well we got to meet him we went to this uh awards event thing and he was there and we got to shake his hand and stuff and actually see the guy and he was he was real nice to us did karina faint she about did okay all right. yeah the only one that's bigger for her is david Tennant, and she got to meet him one time too oh so my god the, the only thing that eclipsed the uh the adam scott experience uh yeah we really that was to me that was sort of a you, just the cast and the the uniqueness of that story and stuff was really really made an impression. You know, you know Karina's work so hard and has long days, you know. So sometimes when we're sitting down to dinner, we just want to watch something we don't have to think about too much. So it's a lot of reality competition things. Like we just finished watching Drink Masters on Netflix, which is like the co reality cocktail competition. Who makes the best cocktail? Who does? That's what that's the competition. Yeah, that's the competition. I thought you wanted me to spoil it for you. I was like, I can't tell you who won, man. You might watch this. <laughs> no, like, I just can't believe that's a thing. I make a good mean cocktail. So I'm just saying. people just try to make what tastes really good as a drink. Well, they, yeah, they, these are people who are doing like crazy molecular stuff and smoking things and cooking stuff and taking it to the next level. They get like ninety minutes to make one cocktail, so it's like the hardcore, like people that are making you know, chemistry out of cocktails now. So it was oh. pretty fascinating to watch. <laughs> no, it's not a gin and tonic, no. <laughs> they, if you set a gin and tonic down, they'd send you packing on that show. It would have oh. to be a gin and tonic with smoke pouring out of it and, <laughs> you know, some sort of other eight or 10 other exotic ingredients hanging off the side. 
Uh, so yeah, we watched that. We've been watching a lot of like kids and baking competitions, like seasons of Master Chef Junior, Great British Baking Show Junior. Uh, we got a new episode of British Baking tonight. In fact, that's probably what I'm going to do once we get off of here oh, with you that's guys. Cute. Uh, but scripted stuff mainly lately. We've been watching Abbott Elementary and uh, one called Reboot. Oh my god, I finished it! So good. Oh, yeah, it's so funny. There's so many laughs out of that show. Keegan Michael Key, no, right? Yeah, he's... yeah, yeah. He's he's fantastic. Yeah, I was on. Uh, I was background on Key and Peele a couple of times, so I got to see those guys <laughs> do their oh, stuff. Nice. And Jordan Peele, man, oh, amazing filmmaker. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. We got the one of the sets from Nope as part of the tour now. What? Which which we set? get to Jupiter's Claim, that fictional oh, theme park is in they there. So well? we what's that? Yeah, they got the little Wicked Well in there and the oh, big blow up guy and and all that stuff. Yeah, the they just took took down the set and rebuilt it at Universal. I did. I I we we got a little employee preview of it. Oh, nice. Me and Karina went too. Well, yeah, it was. Podcast. It's insane. Uh, I watched it. <laughs> yeah, like I to wanted to. I wanted to listen to that one. I saw you had it on the list there when I was <laughs> was going through the casts. So I definitely want to give that one a listen at some point to hear you guys' you, take on. You're nope. going to listen to it and be like, "Yeah, they they don't they don't get it." <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'm we sure were still a... talking about movies tonight because God, we just watched Barbarian. Oh, I watched that too recently. I'm still like picking pieces of my brain off the floor yeah that was one i was the most deeply affected by for a while and i felt so lucky that i didn't know much about that before i went into it nothing so it was a total surprise and the experience of that was one of the best movie experiences i've had in a while yeah yeah agreed <clears throat> well kip we love you um thanks so much for doing this and so sorry we went over but we were just no of course oh no there's so much more too i wish i like that were like there's so much i'd love to share with you guys and i mean there's just i mean we're talking about a serial like 30 years here though so the last 30 years of our lives to get apart you know is it's a it's a daunting task this would have to be a, like a 15 part series to get to the bottom of it all we're going to we're going to take all of our su friends and we're going to go back and they're all going to have a sequel <laughs> revisiting the revisitation someday right what we should do like you said yeah that, that would be that'd be awesome man no i've really i've enjoyed this it's been it wasn't as scary as i thought it was going to be basically what we're saying is we'll, we want more men more oh, men. yeah you can uh, you can you can have it anytime you want man all right. <laughs> i'm on tap for you if you need <laughs> all right kip do you have a great rest of your evening send korea yeah. our love and thank i you certainly shall us. Oh, no. Well, it was a great pleasure, you guys. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed listening, and it's been great to be a part of it, too. So thanks for what you guys are doing. Thanks, All right. Bye. Yeah, great. Bye, guys. Good night. Thanks so much for listening and joining us for Kip. Kip, thanks so much for being on. Hey, Kip, stop. thank you for stopping in for a little chat-chat. Yes. Um... Uh, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connersmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an ER. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon uh, under Connor and Smith. Again, Connor with an ER. Thank you for all of our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate your support. If you want to hear more about uh, what we do on our Patreon, you can check it out. The link is in the bio. 
Um, other than that, we hope you all have a wonderful um, Thanksgiving, and we will see you back with more interviews soon. All right? All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.